now, our feature presentation. everyone, welcome to another episode of the Florida Sound Archive podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kaiser, and today we have a new episode, and I'm really excited for this guest because she's been a part of a band out of the Gainesville, Florida area known as Adams for Peace. They existed in the 80s, and Audrey Silverman played bass, but she's also a guitar player and a musician in general, educator, and she's here to tell the story of Adams for Peace. Audrey, welcome in. How are you? Hi, Jeff. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're going to get into a lot of great stuff today, uh, talking about Adams for Peace and your musical journey, because you've been doing it for a long time. So let's get started. Where did it all begin? Where'd you grow up in Florida? I was born in Miami, if you can believe it. Uh, not too many people were, but I was born at uh, Cedars of Lebanon, which is no longer there. It's part of the Jackson Medical Complex now. And I grew up in well, Coral Gables for the first uh, few years. And then uh, we moved to um, Kendall and I went to uh, <clears throat> Kenwood Elementary, Glades Middle and uh, Killian Senior. And I even went to Gainesville for college. So I was just Florida, 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 all the way South Florida. But then North when I went to college. Did you play music when you were growing up in school, like in high school? Yes, I learned guitar when I was seven years old. Um, I you know, I always find it fascinating that kids now, a lot of times parents will tell them they're going to learn an instrument. You're going to learn piano or we want you to learn guitar or we're going to get you a set of drums so you can get started with music. But I literally had to beg my parents to let me learn guitar. They had no interest in really, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was a big, big deal for them. Although my father really was a, a stereo uh, buff. But he was not really as much of a music person as I am, but he was he loved stereo. Anyway, they bought no, they didn't buy me a guitar. My cousin Jay gave me a guitar and it was a it was a classical guitar, but it was really beat up. I loved it, though. I wish I still had it. I don't. And I started taking lessons in South Miami at a place called House of Melody. I learned songs. And um, from that point on, I was, you know, kind of an addict with guitar I played for my fourth grade class. I'll never forget the song that I played and sang, uh, Where Have All the Flowers Gone, if you can believe that, if you even know that song. It was like an anti-war song from the 60s. But then when I went into junior high, I started uh, guitar picking lessons, and I had a different guitar teacher, and he was kind of a hippie. As a matter of fact, he looked just like Lindsey Buckingham. I was... I had so so much of a crush on him. He was so I was like Lindsey Buckingham is my guitar teacher. No, but he wasn't. But he looked like him. But the interesting thing about this guy is that he had really long fingernails on one side and not on the other. And if you'll notice, that's my my fingernail pattern even to this day because I still do pick with my guitar. That's what guitar pickers do. You can't have nails on your on your um, the pressing side that where you play the chords and the nails on the other hand help you if you're not using a pick. So I became a finger picking person and I was really inspired by, I don't know, like people like James Taylor, um, some extent, Joni Mitchell, some of the Beatles, like um, for example, in my life, if you'll remember, there's a picking pattern in there. And I started and Simon and Garfunkel were the, the probably one of the biggest influences of my guitar life. Paul Simon, I should say. Um, I, I learned every song on the sound of silence album and Parsley Sage Rosemary and time. And it became my thing. I was a folk picker, you know, and I loved it until, well, and then I, I met a, a girl in one of my junior high school classes named Lori, who was very odd. She always, this is back in 1978, and she was coloring her hair purple. And I didn't know anyone was, that was doing that in, in 78. Well, what am I talking about? Not in, not in Florida. They were doing that in New York or in London. And I was like, who is this cool girl that has purple hair? So we became immediately best friends. And she learned how to play the drums. Be well, no, I taught her how to play guitar. But then I said, listen, 
you need to learn how to play something else so we can start a band. So she learned how to play drums and she bought a drum set. And we started a band and that was in the ninth grade. Um, we really didn't even have a name. It was just, I don't know, some band. And we started writing songs together and I'm still friends with her, but really we didn't have a steady band. It was just, she and I were the only steady members and I never saw myself as a full-time singer ever. I liked playing guitar and having someone else sing and I can, I sing backup. So we, we, we had, we went through, I don't even know, three, four or five different singers. And every, every month we were changing singers. And to this day, to be honest with you, that's been the plague of my musical existence is finding somebody to sing for the multiple bands that I've tried to form. Because to me, that's the hardest part is finding the right singer. And I'll tell you how I, when we get to the Adams for Peace part, I'll tell you my thoughts about, you know, our singer, but we were best friends, but that was that band that that first band that Lori and I started was just it didn't really work out. And in high school, I met lots of different musicians, but they were mostly dudes, you know, and I don't know. It was like I tried to I auditioned for some bands and I know this is going to sound kind of arrogant, but the guys didn't like for the girl to play the guitar better than them. They didn't. They really didn't. Like, I remember guys being really upset with me in, in the middle of practices I would or auditions. And I'd be like, am I, do, am I playing it wrong? What's wrong? They're like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. So anyway, I never really got into any bands that I auditioned for. And I, I kind of know that I nailed a lot of auditions, but I never got into any of the bands. Do you remember any of those bands that you had auditioned for? Or they maybe- were all high school bands. High school high bands. School. They were not. Again, we were underage. So when I went to college, this is when I started playing open mics by myself. And I played with just my guitar and me. And I played all around Gainesville. I mean, I don't remember the name of the coffee houses, but there were a lot of them all downtown. Gainesville's no longer like it was. So I went there in 1980 and I stayed till 85, the end of 85. Those were my years. And Gainesville was, it was happening. It really was. It was like blooming. You know, well, Tom Petty, you know, was from there. So that was a little bit of what was happening. Um, I don't remember the names of all the bands, but there was that Roach Motel. And, you know, there were different different bands. Um, Apricot, probably. They were a little bit later. And I met this guy named Lori who had a band. I, I'm, I have such a bad memory, but he had a band that were all keyboards. Even, I wish I could remember the name of it. Even their drummer did keyboard drums. It was like, they were like craft work. And this was in Gainesville. And I moved in with him for a little while. He was he was very inspirational to me because, I mean, that was when I was getting into things like Depeche Mode and New Order. And I mean, Martha and the Muffins. I don't know if you ever heard of them. And of course, um, I mean, there was some some like I, I used to really like the motels in the, you know, like 79, 80. That was like the greatest time. It was kind of like that period of like new wave started to kind of take take shape. Yeah. And CBGB's had the whole thing going on, you know, with Patti Smith and Talking Heads and Blondie. And I was just those were all my absolute favorites. I mean, you know, and Patti Smith is like a big influence for me, even though she doesn't play instruments, but she's I love I love her anyway. Yeah. But um, so I tried to form this. uh, Well, I was playing in all um, talk coffee houses and I was playing all cover cover songs. I was playing (laughs) David Bowie, believe it or not. James Taylor. I played like one or two Joni Mitchell songs. I played Indigo Girls. Um, I played Cat Stevens, things like that. Anyway, but I was really a perf- person that imitated records. And I remember meeting this one woman in Gainesville who said, Audrey, you are so good. But have you ever thought of breaking away from imitation? Like you're, you sound exactly, exactly like the record. I mean, even the guys, you sound like the girls and the guys. And I was like, yeah, no, I know you're right. I I, I do. I, I am. I'm an imitator. I, I can play the exact guitar parts. I can sing the exact, you know, uh, vocal parts. So then I met Nancy, another drummer in Gainesville, who was, oh, she was on the rugby, the women's rugby team. And I don't know, some, I started watching rugby. And anyway, she, she was like, do you play, you Oh no! She came to one of my my music, my open mics, 
she said, I, I'm a drummer. You want to form a band? So I was like, yeah, yeah, let's form a band. So we got some some girls together. We were going to try to, this was right when the Bangles and the Go-Go's came out too. And I loved them when they first, I loved the Go-Go's first album and the Bangles first album. The Bangles were, uh, came to, both of them came to Gainesville in 1981 or two, maybe two, before they really broke broke it in big, you know? And they played at small clubs. I worked for the University of Florida activities d- department that scheduled all the concerts at, at the University of Florida. I was like, uh, I set up all the um, the musical uh, equipment on the stages. So I set up, I set up the stage for the Pretenders, for the Psychedelic Furs, for REM, for Go Go's. Well, that was later the Go Go's after they they kind of make it. Who other Pat Metheny? I mean, I sat. I was like a road, not a roadie, but I was like a tech soundy person. So I was going to so many great concerts. Were there a lot? Were there were there a lot of other women at that time that were doing that? I was the only one. What was that like for you, experiencing that and kind of being one of the very few, if not the only one, who was doing that type of work? I mean, some people thought it was the coolest thing ever, and some people thought it was annoying. I don't know what else. Some people were like, "Well, who do you think you are?" And other people were like, wow, that's so cool. It's like a mixed reaction, you know? But I didn't care, I loved it. I was like, how did I get this gig? I love it so much. It was like the greatest. Oh, I do you remember the English? Do you remember the English beat? Of course. I mean, I, mean, I, I hung with all those guys. I drove them around town. I was like their chauffeur. <laughs> the keyboard of the English beat was this guy named Blockhead and he was bald, I don't know if you remember. He actually wrote one of their songs called I Confess, he told me which is one of their good, well, I like their first album best with Mirror in the Bathroom, but you know, the third album was pretty good too. And he was great. He was really fun and I loved him. And they and REM, I, I got to meet all those guys too. I was hanging around, setting up their stages. I mean, Michael Stipe, you couldn't get near him. He was super shy, um, but Peter Buck was super sweet. And Mike Mills was really, really intelligent. I loved him. You know, I mean, they were all great. So <laughs> our, our, our um, little woman's band practiced in this um i told you the storage studio <laughs> and we we made, nailed we uh we nailed um you know soundproofing things all to the walls and we brought posters in and so we started practicing but again i found a bass player this woman named claire i was on guitar nancy was on uh drums and we we kept on going through different singer after singer and we found one that we really liked I don't even remember her name. But before we ever got to play anywhere, that's when Adams for Peace was first forming. It was 1983 or four. Three or eight, 83 or four. I've, I'm not sure how, but George and Chip came to see our, our little all-girl band play in our, in our storage room. And they said, hey, well, you guys learn some of our songs and audition for our band. When you say George and Tib, you're referring to uh, George Tab and Chip Falks, right? That's right. And J- not, neither of them went to school. I, J- Chip was like a he was like a golf pro. He never went to school. Nancy and I. Nancy was a full time nurse, and I was a full time student. And so we, I'm telling you, our band was very. We were very diverse backgrounds. And so anyway, he gave us a cassette tape of like three of their songs. Peace Gun, I think Cry, and Paint the Walls Gray. And he said, yeah, but we need a, we we have a guitar player already. We need a bass player. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I play bass. Yeah. So that week, I went and I bought a bass. <laughs> At, I remember the name of the place that uh, Tom worked, Lipham. Lipham Music Store. It was on university. Anyway, um, so I bought a bass, which... This is Tom Holtz, right? The, gu- that, the guitarist. I bought a bass from him. He was the guy who sold me the bass. And it was a Fender Precision, which was a sweet bass. I don't have it anymore. I, I wish I collected. I wish I kept all the instruments that I've ever had. I only have right now. I only have like five, five or six of them. But I used to have. I've had a lot of instruments that I at different times. I've had to trade up or trade down whatever, whatever I needed. I would like sell or trade it's like I didn't work steady at the time. I was I was I was always always broke. You know, it wasn't until I don't know later in life that I was able to just buy instruments and go to the store willy nilly and buy things that I wanted. So I would have to trade if I had a guitar that I wasn't didn't happen to be using at the time. Yeah, I would trade that 
to get $200 off of a base that was $300. Were you aware at that time that George Tab had been involved with Roach Motel? Yeah, but I didn't like it. I didn't like, that's not the kind of music I liked. I would listen to it and I was like, uh, I mean, when I tell you what my playlist was for the open mics, you can tell that's not really what I, my jam. Now, listen, now I listen to the Sex Pistols and the Ramones and I like them a lot. I mean, even and the raincoats and the slits and I, I, but at the time I was a little bit more into, I mean, what can I, like, you know, I don't know, more like um, poetic music, you know? So I was like, ah, Roach Motel, it's, it's, I mean, I did, I loved the talking heads and, but they're, to me, they're not, they're, they're very poetic as, as well. And Patti Smith, um, I didn't really like the grungy sound that much. I mean, the Ramones have never been really my favorite. It's like one, two, three, four. I mean, I've seen them in concert many times, but. I mean, how do you, how do you not like songs like more beer and I hate the sunshine state and Brooke Shields must die from the Roach Motel. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I just wasn't, that's not what I was into. It was quite different from what you're comparing though, but they were definitely one of the, one of the main punk bands from from Gainesville of that era and and George Tab had played and started that band too so you think about the early beginnings of Adams for Peace you mentioned that George and Chip were already forming form that band so at what point did you get involved with Adams for Peace so I bought a bass when they said you want to audition and Nancy you know well Nancy had to set a drum but Nancy, Nancy and I practiced the songs for like about a week. They said, let's do an audition. And why don't you guys come in and audition? I can't remember where the audition was. It was at somebody's house. I don't remember whose. But anyway, when they called, when we, when we got into the audition, I had sort of souped up the, 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 my bass lines to be a little fancier than like, you know, although, although Peace Gun is a very, I mean, rudimentary kind of thumping bass line. You have to do that. But I tried to sort of like on the song Paint the Walls Gray. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. It's it's kind of a fancy little funk riff, in fact. I mean, it's like, you know, a little bit fancy or whatever. And so we finished our audition. They said, yeah, yeah, we want you guys in the band. And we said, okay, cool, great. And... um at the same time, somehow, but now this is where I don't know, and maybe Tom would tell you, but he doesn't. He doesn't tell stories in linear, uh, in a linear way. Sometimes, you know, he'll it will take him a while. But I don't know how he was invited to play in the band because Tom didn't play Roach Motel music. He, he didn't play like I mean, Tom was an, a, a very accomplished guitar player, and he and uh, he was in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers for about two months. And the reason he was fired from that band, or I don't know if it was fired or whatever you want to call it. I hope, you know, if Tom ever hears this, that he, uh, no offense, Tom, I, I'm just telling from what you ever told me, um, if if he ever hears this. But I mean, from what I understand, Tom said, it's too fancy for me. It's too, you're too good. We need, we need simpler, simpler leads. And if you ever listen to, you know, the lead for Breakdown, which is one of their first big songs, I mean, it's in the E minor pentatonic scale straight through. It's like a riff that any any lead guitar player, you know, can play. But um, so Tom suddenly was in the band, too, with us. I don't know whether Tom was in before me or after me. That's where I get a little bit hazy. Yeah. Well, anyway, so Tom joined right around when we joined. And the big thing was we had to find a steady rehearsal space. Chip, I don't know. Chip found this old barn. I'm serious. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was on the outskirts of Gainesville. And there used to be a lot of, you know, really empty space outside of Gainesville. And we had this little barn. I don't I don't think there was a, a, any AC in it or a refrigerator or anything. It was like where they, they used to keep cows or, or hair horses. So we brought all of our equipment there and that was our rehearsal space. I don't know. We had electric. I will say that, but I have to say now when I look back at it, it was the greatest rehearsal space. I mean, we we put chairs there and people would come out. And how, how often were you rehearsing there? I guess it was twice a week. We all wrote our own parts, you know, because Chip didn't play any instruments, and Tom, he didn't really play bass or drums. And so, like 
Nancy and I really came up with hers and my, well, she didn't come up with my part. We both came up with her drum lines and I came up with all my uh, bass parts. And so, and then there was the banjo at one time. I wish that I would have done, done more background singing because I'm, but I was, I was just, I don't know why they didn't want me to, or I don't know. I was kind of, I did background singing on only two songs. But anyway, we practiced a lot and we started getting okay. And then um, we started, we hired, we got a manager who was really Chip's best friend. And he just started booking us at places like the Ratskeller, which I loved playing at in, in Gainesville. And the Orange and Blue, Orange and Brew, I think it was called, which was, you know, it was right at the uh, Rights Union. So we played a lot on the campus. And then we started playing at places in downtown Gainesville, my favorite of which was called the Metro. That that was my fit. That place was so kick-ass cool. I loved it so much. God, I would love to go to a place like that now. And what, was, what were some of your earliest memories of some of those shows? And what were the crowds like back then? We had a devoted following. I wouldn't say it was huge. I really wouldn't. They were very devoted, but it was not huge. I don't know why we could not catch on. I mean, we started traveling around the state. We got gigs in Tampa. We played once at this place called uh, Einstein Agogo, which was in Jacksonville. I don't know if you know, have ever heard of Einstein Agogo? No, I had not heard of that place that before. Cool we played down in Miami at a place called Flynn's. What was it like playing Flynn's? I loved it. It was right there on the beach. Um, I mean, the thing about Chip, our lead singer, is we. I would always walk into a gig and be very concerned about what kind of stage there was going to be because Chip had the propensity towards not knowing his own physical limitations. I mean, he and he was very into the mosh pit style thing. You know, he would like jump into the audience all the time. And I was like, Chip, don't do that. You're going to freaking, you're going to hurt yourself. And I'll never forget it. Flynn's, it was this high stage and he jumped like he did practically like a, um, a, a, a like a, a split in midair and jumped into the audience. I was like, somebody's going to get hurt. Don't do this. Don't do this. But I mean, Chip is a very long story. I, I don't, you know, and, and rest in peace. He's no longer with us. Chip passed away. Back in the mid, like two, uh, I can't remember what year it was when he passed. Uh, it was, it was not, it was maybe 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. He was in a motorcycle act. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember reading about it in one of, it was, it was in one of the, uh, like, like I'll go like a local publication because he, he still lived in Florida for. Yeah, he did. I mean, after yeah. Adam for Peace broke up, like it was, it, they they stayed together about a year after I I left, but it didn't work out. I, yeah. I should have never, never left. And my parents did not really support me being in the band. They didn't really, they didn't care for it. They really didn't. They thought I was probably doing things that I shouldn't be doing, which they were kind of right, but who who wasn't? Um, my parents really wanted me to. Probably, they wanted me to go to law school and uh, I really kind of did want to at one point too. And hey, this was obviously a sidetrack, you know? So I brought the whole band home to meet my parents once. And I'm, it was like, I was bringing my date home or something to meet them, you know? And I don't know. They, it's like, they were, my parents didn't care for, for them. They were, you know, Chip was very hard edged. He, and he always wore, you know, leather every, everywhere. He wore leather everywhere. I mean, in 90 degree weather, he would wear leather. And um, they didn't really see it going anywhere for me. They thought it was just, they thought it was just something that I was doing that was wasting time. What about other parents from other members of the band? Did they have any opinions as well? Well, I never met any of their parents except Nancy's. They supported her because her mother, listen to this, her mother in the 1940s, was in an all-female jazz ensemble. She played trombone. I think it was trombone. So her parents were totally behind her in doing music. But remember, she was also a nurse. So she also had a career. Nancy was, she was, she's, one thing about Nancy is you can never say she's not dedicated. And she's dedicated to anything she does 100%. And she was the one that had the truck that we moved all our, our crap, all our equipment in our, we had a PA system. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll tell you, so half the time she loaded it and unloaded it herself. Wow. Nancy, our drummer. And we're like, you know, Chip is very muscular. So like 
but he was, you know, a little bit of a prima donna sometimes. It's like, you know, we didn't have a huge amount of, we had like one or two guys once in a while help us. Anyway, so so the return to Miami, the prodigal daughter returns to Miami. I mean, it was a little tainted, I guess, by my parents not being very crazy about the the band. They thought, and also they didn't really care for the music, to be honest. My, I, a few of my uh, cousins came, they liked it. My brother came, he liked it. That was really, that was nice for me. But uh, nobody was like turning over, back, back, doing backflips over it. When I listen to the album now, we only made one album. Um, I think it's really good. Yeah, we can but, let's 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 show the cover of the album. So, Adams for Peace, the only the only record the band put out. But this is the album. So, what do you remember about the artwork for well, for the record? One of the reasons that that artwork is on it is because we had a song called Chemical Rain, the one that I played banjo on. Uh, and it, well, that song was written by uh, Tom and he co-wrote it with a friend of his named William J. George and William J. George, Bill J. George, three, three first names was also an artist and he was the artist of that piece. And he does a lot. He has, he's still doing art in Atlanta today and he has, he's in galleries and everything. It's beautiful stuff. That's one of his earlier styles. He doesn't do, uh, as geometric anymore, but he does beautiful work. Beautiful. Anyway, we wanted to feature his artwork because we loved it. There is another very big reason we featured it. He played the harmonica on that song. That's the main reason. I see. The artist played the harmonica on that song. He played on Chemical Rain. Did he get a songwriting credit for that? Yeah, his name is on there. Lyrics by William J. George. Those lyrics are dark, man. I don't know if you've ever read them. The drops are falling harder, fluid dripping down my face. I'm caught without a shelter. Can't find one any place. I mean, it's like about acid rain, you know? It's like yeah. the weird thing about the lyrics of uh, Adam for Peace, and this is one thing that I was I was tell- telling you that I'm very much into lyrics. I'm a lyric person. I, I focus a lot on lyrics. The, the Adam for Peace lyrics were ugh, very dark. I mean, if we go through the topics of the songs... The first song, Hearts and Flowers, is about heroin. Uh, the second song, Pictures, is about uh, the apocalypse, the end of the world. The third song is about, um, I don't know, I don't. society is about like children being excluded, being outcast. Fourth song, Cry, is about no, there's no justice anywhere. Chemical Rain is about acid rain. Um, let's see, on the uh, next side, Bang Bang is about people killing each other. Paint the Walls Gray, I don't know what the hell that's about. Peace Gun is about too many guns. And my favorite song on the album, which is called Stop the Killing, is about too many guns. So the whole thing is is like practically, it's like an agenda for, for the Congress or something. <laughs> Who was doing most of the, the songwriting? Chip. So I used to think that that was one of the reasons that we didn't get the kind of traction that we we really should have gotten. Because I think that the lyrics were just a little bit too... They were too deep and dark. I mean, some of our influences, for example, U2 or, you know, Joy Division or Gang of Four or Psychedelic Furs or, or um, you know, R.E.M., none of those people had political lyrics. None of none of them did. They, they were not deep and dark like ours. Ours were too, they were too dark. I was like, God, can't you write a song that's like maybe not, not quite as dark? And the other thing is when he sang them, he sounded angry. And so, you know, I mean, he was a good singer, but he was an angry singer. The only singer I can compare him to of the of that time was like um, The Alarm. And also Chip sounded a little bit in his own right, like, Jane, uh, like Jim Morrison. Um, there was a song on the album called Hushabye, which was a, a beautiful song, but very dark also. But he sounded just like Jim Morrison. Uh, one of the other people mentioned as one of the producers is Bob McPeak. What kind of influence did he have on the sound of the record? It was his studio. So I, we're, um, we're talking about Mirror Image Studios. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I disagreed with a lot of the production decisions very much. If I had it to do over again, I would have done so many things different to this day. Every time I listen to it, I hear all the different things I would have done. But he did the best he could, and I didn't. I was too young to be taken seriously. I mean, he was the older guy who owned the studio. You know, it's like I was, I had a lot of opinion. Oh, there's a part, I don't know if you know the song Stop the Killing, but there's a part 
where there's a, a drum machine in it rather than the drum we wanted to have. We were using for the first time um, synthetic drums because of the sound. I played the drums for that. Um, and it it was like this real powerful, like horses galloping drum sound that, I, that really made the, that's my favorite song on the whole album because the way it's produced is is worthy of the song. But a lot of them, like, for example, Chemical Rain, whenever I listen to it, you you yourself said it's cool that you can actually hear the banjo. But I mean, there was a problem with a lot of the mixing of that song because a lot of the things were at the very same level, like the banjo, the harmonica, and some of the other things, the voices were kind of all right in the same um, audible range. And so it's not really that way that sounds that that song should sound in a in a in a studio but uh you know that's that was the only studio in Gainesville and see Bob McPeak he owned the only studio he also he co-owned a record store which was called it was like the the best used record store in Gainesville right near um right across the street from campus and they were real they were they liked Adam for Peace a lot that's why he said why don't you come record in my studio was there ever any demo that you had recorded first or was it just right into the studio to record the album? Well, they had a little tape, a cassette. I don't know where they even made it. That's how Nancy and I learned the songs. I don't know how they made it. So no, I don't think there was a demo of any kind. I don't know why that band, Adams for Peace, it's like somehow we didn't go a normal route. I don't know. And it, and it really was the end of it because we just didn't have anyone taking care of our needs um, or managing our needs. And I'm not, I'm not, and I didn't know how to do anything. I really didn't. And you know what? Neither, neither did Chip or Tom. Tom was exclusively a musician. I mean, he, he would, he's, he's worse at self-promotion than I am. And, and Chip was a golf pro before he was in this. So we, we were floating in the, in the, in the atmosphere with no, Guidance whatsoever. George Tab left the band after that. I told you we played at CBGB's and they had a fist fight on the stage and he wasn't in the band after that. Yeah. What happened with that? How did that all come about? Well, I'll tell you the CBGB story in a minute, but let me just say once he was out of the band and we really started focusing on the songwriting, we were all dead serious. I mean, and dead committed. The only one that was not a hundred percent committed is me. And the only reason I was not is because I had little birds whispering in my ear that I needed to be doing other things. I was the only one. And I, and to this day, I regret leaving that band when I did. Because it I just didn't see us ever getting any help. I was like, we've got to get something together, like a press kit or something. Isn't there anybody that we can get that will help? And and I was just like, I don't know. I I'm a student in college right now. I don't know anything of, you know, if I was who I am now, I would have, I would have done more, but I still, I'm not still great at self-promotion and I don't, you know, I've, I've been in several bands and I never, never have been able to promote them correctly ever. And I remember you also saying that you played some, some shows outside of Florida, right? In in Georgia, like Athens, right? Yeah. We played the 40 walk club. What was that like? It was great. It was good. I mean, I, I loved it. And you think about a place like that, a venue that bands like REM, B-52s, amongst and I told you, a lot of others. I told you, we Einstein and Gogo. We opened for 10,000 Maniacs. We were an opener for them. What do you remember about how you got booked on that show? That, I don't know. That was a, that was a real fortuitous thing. We didn't even really meet the, uh, the 10,000 Maniacs, unfortunately. I love Natalie Merchant so much. But um, we kind of showed up. They were like, they started so late. We played, I think, from eight to... 1030 and they started at like midnight or something. So we were kind of hanging around waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, I don't know who booked that show. Maybe, I don't know, but it was our probably our manager, Dean, somehow booked it. And he booked the CBGB show too. And we were supposed to send a press kit to Stuart Copeland. The drummer's brother started a label, IRS. That was what our, REM's first label was IRS. And I think they had a few other things like... um. I think maybe they were with the B-52s in the beginning and the Divinals, you know, those bands. Pretty sure, pretty sure the Go-Go's were on IRS at I one point. I think so, right. Yes. And we were yeah. supposed to send a, a whole press kit to them. And I don't know whatever happened to that. I said, what, what about Copeland? He's doing a small record label trying to get. I kept on saying, why can't we 
send stuff to them? Why don't we send? And it just never happens. <laughs> I know it sounds like me crying and whining about being a victim, like nobody else, like, why didn't you do it if nobody else was doing it? But I just didn't, I was writing and playing the songs. I didn't know I thought somebody else should do it. We did not have a legit manager. That was the biggest problem. The last show, do you remember where that was? Mm. Oh, I think it might have been Tampa. I don't remember the name of the place that we played, though. What was it like playing in Tampa? It was great. I loved it. It was really good. Unfortunately, I was drinking a lot of Crown Royal whiskey at the time. And I never drank during shows, but after the shows, I kind of did a little bit. Um, Tampa was good. I mean, I, I don't know. It was good. It was good. I had a little, I had a nice, it was, I had a little weird following. It was like, I had this, I had a following of, of ladies. It was kind of fun. <laughs> and then I had some guys who were always trying to like maul me when I was playing bass. They were like, always trying to like infringe upon my, I remember oh, wow. one time I, I walked down off the stage and I was doing my pattern that I play when I'm playing cry. It's like, bah, 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 bah. and I always went into the audience when we were doing that. And this guy was like humping me from every direction. I was like, dude, let me play my guitar. Well, my bass or whatever. Um, Were there any other situations where maybe fans got a little rowdy or things got uncomfortable, especially being a woman playing in a band like that? Where Yeah, no, most, I had a lot of, of the, inappropriate comments. At yeah. me. I did. I did. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm heteros- I'm, I'm not heterosexual. So, um, it's like, I didn't, I didn't really appreciate it, but I didn't also want to be a bitch. So I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be mean, mean or mad or like rude. So I just allowed a lot of things to happen. I did. I was just like, if, Hey, for the good of the band, you know, but you asked if our band got close and, you know, we were two guys and two girls and I'll never forget. I'm not going to go into too many detail, but one night we, I think it was when we were playing in Jacksonville, you know, the, it used to be that the, the bar owner would put the bands up to pl- where if you're going to play somewhere, they would give you a place to stay. I I remember this place in Jacksonville. They had this room we were going to stay in. We were all going to stay in the same room. And it was like a cave, like an abandoned castle. I don't know whether I'm remembering it incorrectly or not, but it was the weirdest place in the world. And we all, we had a, we had a, like, um, spiritual awakening that night we had like we sat together and we talked and i don't know we all kind (laughs) of we all stayed there in that room together that was a pretty pretty interesting evening but i shouldn't say anything more about it but it was really interesting i got a lot closer with chip that evening and and i have to say it's like he was he um a big bad mean bear with a bad temper a lot of times and then the next time you'd turn around he would be like this cuddly kitten I mean, you know, which is weird because his stage persona was not that of a cuddly, cuddly kitten. I mean, he was like angry and large, you know. (laughs) And I wanted to ask you, too, because, you know, obviously, you know, Chip is has passed on and some of the members are not here for the interview. So from what you know and what you can remember, what was Chip's thoughts about the band and just the legacy? Did he ever share with you any opinions or any thoughts on the band and the, the legacy of it? was always upset that I was not more dedicated and I was as dedicated as I could be, but he got mad at me about it a lot. I I really do believe that he thought that we were going to be an institution. I mean, he thought it was forever and Tom didn't care. He was just, but he was very, very good. See, the thing about Tom is Tom doesn't care about anything else except playing really good guitar, which is one thing I love about him. He doesn't think about anything else, but but playing the best guitar you can play for the part you're playing. Did Tom ever share any thoughts with you about his thoughts and memories of the band? No, he just, they, he was as dedicated as could possibly be. The only thing is when we would, sometimes we would practice and we would chip out a temper. And like I said, rest in peace. And I don't want to disrespect his memory in any way, because I mean, looking back on it, he was, I mean, I I really loved and cared about him, but he had a very bad temper. And sometimes we would go to practice and we would walk in ready to go over something. And we could tell just in the first five minutes whether it was going to be a good practice or a bad practice because of his temper. And he was the kind of person that if he was if he if something was wrong or bad or if his mind was bothering him, we would not be having a good practice. We would be having 
a really negative experience. And that was what in the end made me quit is that it became his temper for me became kind of toxic. I mean, but sometimes you have to accept like I, in retrospect, the, he was the artist. He was the writing the songs. And sometimes the artist, quote unquote, with a capital A, is high maintenance, you know, and he was he was high maintenance. He really was. And like I told you, we were afraid that he was going to injure himself sometimes when he jumped off stages. And, you know, sometimes he would yell the lyrics like he was really mad. And if he would have like been able to contain his rage, he sort of had a rage. I think that we could have stayed together. What about Nancy? From what you know, what are what's her thoughts on the legacy of the band? Well, I know Nancy very well. She and I have been in several bands together since then. She lives not far from me. We're we're very, we used to be very good friends. Right now, we're a little bit not as great of friends anymore because of we had a little falling out. But I mean, we'll, we'll always be friends. And she, re, I mean, she regrets it. She says she always, I mean, until we're dead, she'll probably say she always wishes we could get back together. But I mean, when Chip died, the that that ended there ended that. Was there ever any talk though about? Even getting together to play some of the songs of Adams for Peace just as like a tribute to. I wanted to. Doing. I did, but I didn't. Without without Chip, I don't know if we could do it. We we we'd be able to play all the songs, but I don't know who would sing. I mean, Tom sings two of the songs, and I certainly sing okay. And I know how to sing every word of the song because I I can imitate. I'm an imitator. Remember, I told you that. Right. I can imitate Chip. You know, there's a red sky in the morning. I mean, I know, I know all his phrasings and everything, but um, I would love to, but we're old, we're kind of old now, you know? I mean, we're, you know, Tom is older than Nancy and I by quite a long, quite a while. I mean, I think he's still playing, he's playing in a country band now. And Nancy and I had, a, I started another band and I asked her to be part of it. Well, I asked her to be part of it. And we, we did that about t- uh, 10 years ago. It was called She'll Be Apples. And I told you my, I was always on searching for a good singer and I, I was a t- already a teaching. I was a teacher by that at that time. And I was, already had been teaching for 20 years. And this woman came into our school as a new teacher. Her name was Jackie Reyes. And she and I became really good friends. And she was, she just was the epitome of somebody who could front a band. I said, have you ever been in a band before? She said, no, I, I do karaoke. I said, I'm going to teach you how to be a front person of a band. Okay. She goes, Okay. And so she became the best singer that I've ever had in any band. And that was called She'll Be Apples. We played in Miami Springs. We played in Hollywood. Um, another teacher was uh, played guitar with us. I, I was uh, on guitar, um, like kind of lead. And then another teacher that we worked with, uh, this guy played rhythm guitar. And then Nancy was in it. And one of our students graduated, that who had just graduated, played bass. And it was good. We did really eclectic covers. It was a good band, but... Then Jackie got moved to Tampa. So, so with Shield the Apples, did you ever sneak in an Adams for the Peace song? No, they didn't. I know we really should have. I, no, who? No one would know it. I mean, no one. Would, no one knows it. You're the only person I've met that come. Well, here's an interesting thing. One of my students. I was a debate coach for about ten years, and one of my one of my students on my debate team was in a record store, and she found my record and bought it. And she was walking around school with it. And I was like, oh, my God, where did you get that? I was going to ask you that question. Like, how often did that happen where a student realized at some point, wait a minute, my teacher was in an alternative rock band in the 80s in Gainesville. Like, was that the only time you remember that happening or did it happen other times, too? Um, That was that was like the first uh, that was the third year I became a teacher. So. They did an article in the uh, Miami Herald about me being in a band, becoming a teacher after that. And there was a, a cover of it. It was on the cover of another section, too. So there was this lady named Linda Schwartz. I had her daughter. She was a teacher at my school that I was working at at the time, Nautilus Middle School on Miami Beach. And her daughter was one of my students. And in one of my classes, I accidentally mentioned that I was in a band. So her daughter told her, mommy, Miss Silverman was in a band. And Linda Schwartz, I think her name was, was it was in touch with the people of uh, the new 
the Miami Herald's. So she said, that's really cool. We should get somebody to write an article about it. So here's me posing for that picture. And in the back, I don't know if you can see it, but um, I'm, I have hor- sentence diagrams with song lyrics. And I think it was a Rolling Stones, Wild Horses Couldn't Drag Me Away. I see that. Horses Couldn't Drag you know, Away. And I think there was another one too, right over here. I can't remember what song it was, but you see all my little you know books in front of me and they're... So it says Audrey Silverman, a rock guitarist who became an English teacher. See, this was bullshit. I, I didn't tell him this. Sometimes jumps up and down to get her students' attention, which I don't. I never did. Nor did I say that I did. Sometimes for articles like that, writers can embellish a little bit yeah, to make yeah. make it more more uh, entertaining or whatever the case may be. Anyway, in my last ten years of teaching, I taught humanities. I became the humanities teacher, and I taught music history as one of the segments of my class. And I loved it. I, we, I did the whole history of music and it was one of the greatest classes I've ever taught. And sadly COVID was the reason that I kind of retired from teaching because um, I moved and everything in teaching kind of have changed. So, but you know, I've given guitar lessons on and off. I used to, at the university of Florida, besides being um, a roadie for all the, I'm not a roadie, but a techie for all the bands. I also led my own adult guitar lesson class. I had usually I had, I think I did that for like three years in in Gainesville. It was like an adult education class. Like it wasn't for credit, for college credit, but I, we, were, we were working through the college adult community education. And I had like 10 students every, every semester. It was great. Um, did you ever see or hear of, and this was in, in right in the um, beginning of the 80s, there was a woman named Jane Yee, Y-I, Jane Yee, who used to play with just her on guitar and she had a bass player who was this woman. And they used to play at the Howard Johnson's. There was a little lounge at the Howard Johnson's on 13th Street in Gainesville. I used to see them every Friday night. This Jane Yee was so phenomenal. She played some original songs, but mostly she played deep cuts of songs that people would not necessarily have known. Like I remember she played Union City Blues by by Blondie. Oh, what are we gonna do? Union, Union, Union City Blues. And she played uh, like um, this old Civil War song that was so amazing. She played songs by John Prine, I remember. It was like a little bit, not really country, I might call it Americana, but she also played really cool, edgy things too. She was so good. Her voice was um, beyond belief amazing. She never she never did anything that I know of. And I've, look, I've searched for her. She was one of the greatest performers that honestly to this day that I've ever seen. And she went on to do like, I think she self-produced an album of like relaxation music or something. Okay. And that and that's it. She was devastatingly good. But there was another uh, lady that I used to like to go see sometimes too, Nancy Luca. She was the next Tom Petty. That's what they used to call her, the next Tom Petty from Gainesville. She was like a female version of Tom Petty. She used to be kick ass. She was hard harder than Jane Yee though. She was more like a uh, metal. A little bit more metal, but that was Nancy Luca. Nancy Luca and Jane Yee, these were two women that were, and I'm very, very critical at music. And they were, I was just diehard fans. I also used to go see this band. There was a jazz band in Gainesville that I used to love called Forecast. They were uh, phenomenal. Did anyone ever approach you or any or any of the members of the band at, at any time to do any type of uh, retrospective of the band? Nope. Jeff, seriously, you're the first person that's ever contacted me about this. That's why Tom said, why would you want to talk to me? I mean, I guess we all three, I mean, I would say four, but Chips, you know, we all three have figured that Adams for Peace didn't stir up any interest whatsoever at anywhere. That's how it appears, you know? And, you know, so when you contacted me, I was like, that's why I'm sure that Tom said, why would you want to talk to me? First of all, He's like that. He's not, I don't know. He's very humble. But I mean, also, nothing ever happened. I mean, it's like nothing, 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 nothing. 
Zero, zero, zero. My favorite song on the album, and I, I like the whole record, but my favorite song on the album is Pictures. I love that song. That song could have been a single. Yeah, That's a very important thing that you just said. I, I agree. That's the best. That's the most. My favorite song on the album is Stop the Killing, but Pictures is definitely the most appealing song as far as possibly having a single. But the reason that kind of screwed us up is because Tom was not the real singer of the band. He didn't, in other words, the song, the one, the one song that was the best on the album was not even with our, our main singer. And so it kind of was screwing with Chip's head a little bit. Everyone said that's the best song and that should be your single. Cause everyone said that and he wasn't singing it. And so this is, this is the problem. Chip, he was, he was a kind of a good singer, but kind of Tom was better. You know, and Chemical Rain was a better song, too. But I mean, I love Stop the Killing. It makes me cry. It's one of my favorite songs. But but Chip's voice is not inviting. It's not as inviting as Tom's. And so that was the other problem our band had is that Chip wrote all the songs. He wrote the lyrics. He was bought into them. He really believed in them. But his singing was very erratic and unsteady and too filled with rage for many people to relate to it. What do you remember from the local radio scene at that time? Did the band get any play on local college radio from what you can remember? I mean, we didn't, there wasn't really a college radio station in Gainesville that I knew of. There was one in Miami, VUM. I love WVUM. I think we might've gotten a a play or two on VUM, but I don't really know for sure. Yeah. We missed the boat in every way. Oh, I forgot to tell you one thing about when I moved to California, you were saying, what other music have you done? When I moved to California, I was in a classical orchestra. I was the percussionist in an orchestra. It was an all-women's orchestra. It was called the San Francisco uh, Bay Women's Community Orchestra. <laughs> I was in that for like three years. I played timpani and percussion. I taught myself how to play it all. So you really do kind of play a bit of the spectrum when it comes to instruments. You play guitar, bass, yeah, I play percussion. drums, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I was for the last two years, I've been teaching as an instructor for the School of Rock in Boca Raton. And I am I'm, I'm the adult direct adult band director. So people who've never been in bands before and they're like older now take their chance at trying to be in a band. So they come they sign up for School of Rock and I'm the one that tells them how to be in a band and how to play They're they, Usually they're supposed to have some experience and like they are there to have a separate teacher outside of the band setting and i'm just supposed to show them how to coordinate together so i've done four seasons with them and it's okay i mean they're a lot of uh you know beginners and so but i played uh for two seasons i played drums on in school of rock because we couldn't we didn't have a drummer so i just played the drums if you had to choose your preference what instrument do you think is the most passionate for you to play i love all i love bass guitar and drums but right now i would probably say i love drums best of all because here's why i've spent my whole life carrying heavy equipment to and from gigs and usually the drums are going to be there for the gig you're not a lot of times they have drums already set up uh so i like playing drums when you don't have to set up your own drums the best if you had to set up your own drums, it's the worst. But guitar is my number one passion. I mean, I've always, I feel like I was born with a guitar in my hand and I'll probably die with a guitar in my hand. What are you doing now, musically? Hardly anything. Lessons. I'm giving lessons and doing School of Rock. I was um, in a band before COVID called Silverstorm, after me, Silverman, you know. And it was all all women. They were not... I mean, they were okay. But that girl, Lori, that was my first friend in music was in that band. I called wow. her. She went, yeah. And she's a great drummer, by the way. But we couldn't find a good singer. We went through, honestly, so many singers. Our first singer, rest in peace, died. She had a double lung failure, died. Um, our second singer quit. Our third singer was good, but then... I think she quit because she and her husband were going to move to a farm. And then the fourth singer we had was okay, but that's when that's when COVID hit, we found it harder and harder to practice. So 
during COVID, I moved and they were in Hollywood. And now I moved up to Delray Beach and I couldn't practice with them anymore. So you weren't been- you weren't kidding when you said about just the kind of like the singer curse in a way. I mean, hearing some of these stories and just the fact that it all kind of goes back to finding someone who can not only sing, but just one person to kind of stick with the whole the whole piece. Here's here's another example. So I was playing a a gig with Silverstorm and this girl, Melissa, came up to me and she said, hey, you're really good. Can you play with me? I want to find somebody who can be a guitar player and I want to be able to play, you know, and sing. And she said, I'm a really good singer. I said, you are? She said, yeah, I'm a really good singer. So she and I started kind of working together and it was actually on, we didn't ever get together because she we lived very far apart. She gave me a list of all the songs she knew. I gave her a song list of all the songs I knew. And when we did our first gig, we had never once practiced. We met at the gig. And this was about two years ago. We had a gig at this place called Cloud Nine in uh, Hollywood. I brought my, I was just playing guitar and she was just singing, but it was phenomenal. I'm going to tell you something. That was, that gig was one of the most fun gigs I've ever done. And she was an amazing singer. People were screaming and dancing. They were loving it. So she asked me, she goes, listen, I only live in Florida for part of the year. I live in Costa Rica for half the year and Florida for the other half. She goes, will you come to Costa Rica Stay at my house with me and we can do gigs in Costa Rica. I said, wow, that sounds great. You know, it's like an all expenses trip paid. So I did that. And she she set it up so that we had six gigs while I was there. We were there for two weeks and she got a whole band together to play. And we played half just she and I and then half with another band. You should have seen these people in Costa Rica. It was like we were the biggest band in the world. They were screaming, dancing, screaming. They were on the dancing on the ceiling. I mean, I was like, what the hell? They were going, Audrey, Audrey. Cause I was, wow. we were playing, trying to remember this is one song where I had this really cool guitar riff that I was playing. And they started chanting my name. Oh, and we, we were using um, uh, a keyboard for some per- percussion too. That she, she managed to be able to figure out. And we were playing dance music, just the two of us and me on guitar. And it was great. But, she got sick and she, she she's in Costa Rica most of the year. And I wanted to, to continue, but it didn't work out anymore. I mean, it didn't work. I don't know why we did. We did like 10 gigs that were, I thought were great. And then suddenly she was too sick to ever come to Florida anymore. And I, I really wasn't going to move to Costa Rica. Sure. I mean, that's certainly, I mean, disappointing that it didn't, nothing really came else after, but the fact that you were able to almost have sort of like bookend to your musical journey, although you haven't stopped, right? I mean, you're not still performing as much, right? But the fact that you had that opportunity to go and play and get that kind of reaction, I mean, how to feel good for you thinking about where you all, where you started to where it all kind of ended up. That had to have been a nice feeling to have to kind of wrap things up. No, it's true. No one ever was ch- chanting Adam for peace, Adam for peace. I mean, people liked us, but they were, they were very reticent. I mean, I'm just trying to look at it like objectively, you know, with no ego attached to it. When I really think about Adam's for peace and our performances, people were very, Lukewarm. I mean, I told you we had some diehard fans, you know, like cultish fans, but not in large numbers. The people who loved us were people that had like purple hair and spotted, you know, tattoos and like leather. I mean, and they smoked clove cigarettes every 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 uh, gig. I mean, I'm just like, okay, they're here. (laughs) The Adam for PCs. But I mean, we never got like a, you know, expansive following of any kind. I mean, that's why I just think Florida was not the place for us, you know. And I could see that, though, with some of the fans, because the sound of the band, it had different influences. And in the way that everything kind of came to the way the album sounded, I'm sure live it it even sounded even more raw, I would imagine. So it had, though, this 
punk element to it, uh, but also this alternative rock, even though that wasn't even really even a term back then, uh, it kind of had that sound, you know, you, th- you know, thinking back to other bands of, the, of that time. So uh, it doesn't surprise me one bit that that's who some of the people that were coming out. Yeah. With some of those yeah. shows. So when I think about Nancy's main influence, the band heart. I mean, that's it. Heart, 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 heart. Tom's influences, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Jimi Hendrix. Chip's influences, Gang of Four, Sex Pistols, Ramones, Joy Division, Psychedelic Verse. Makes sense. (laughs) When you listen to that album, I mean, you definitely, I think you can sometimes hear more of Chip's influences in the music, but you also hear a lot of other different different sounds and influences too. So, but that's what I love about it. And I hope everyone who's checking out the interview does take a little bit of time to check out the album, the Adams for peace, the only record the band ever put out. So there's not a whole lot of discography. You got to go digging around for find the one album. The link will be in the description. You can stream it on, on YouTube. But if you are ever at a local record shop, you might come across it, but it's worth picking up. And Audrey, you were a huge part, huge part of that. And again, super glad that you have taken the time to share the story of Adams for Peace and also about your life, too, and all the things that you've that you've done. Uh, It's been so wonderful getting a chance to chat with you today. And as we kind of close things out, I'd love to kind of give you the last word. So I'm going to turn things over to you to share any closing remarks. Thanks, Jeff. I think that I really owe a debt of gratitude to you for doing this. I admire you and your dedication to music and Florida music itself. I really, I'm in great hopes that you can possibly bring people together and maybe and who haven't talked to each other for a little while and maybe bring some, you know, some people to be reunited. I Adams for Peace, I think was a band before its time. I really honor the bandmates that are still alive, uh, Nancy Goff and Tom Holtz. I told you, I am in t- I'm in touch with them through Facebook. Um, not as much as I would like to be, but certainly we are in touch. I honor the memory of Chip. I don't want to get emotional again because I already have, but you know, we miss him and we probably would have gotten back together if he had been alive. Um, my musical journey would, you know, Adams for Peace was a huge part of my musical journey. And the fact that the fact that Chip and and George were interested even in bringing some women into the band speaks a lot, I think, for them as, as people. And I really support um, I do want to say that I support, you know, women in music. And I think that a lot of women my age may have kind of missed their chances because of the some of the past um, prejudices that existed that no longer exist quite as much, thank God. But I really hope that in the next few years or to come, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the world of music because uh, I don't know. There's a, I have a big question mark about the direction that music is heading, but I sure do hope that more and more um, women play instruments and are heard playing instruments rather than just being focused on as the sexy singer We like playing instruments, too, and we can do it, too.
Yeah. 